Good morning. I hope everyone is as excited for uh, Thanksgiving as I am. Yeah. But I don't think you're as excited as I am. So earlier this week, I was at a, uh, a student Senate meeting, and um, one, of the, one of the Senate members asked me um, to kind of give a uh, temperature of the student body, like a temperature of the spiritual um, place of the college, if you will. And oddly enough, like, I get asked to do that more than you would think. Um, people ask me, what, like, what is the, what's sort of the temperature at the college? And, and usually I, I say, um, you know, you can't really paint with a super broad brush, right? Like, we're a thousand unique individuals, um, people, different places with the Lord, struggling with different things, um, rejoicing in different things. So it's usually somewhat, somewhat like that. But um, this time, I had a different answer. I said, I think... Um, I think that perhaps um, the Lord is calling our community um, into deeper relationship with him. Um, I've felt that from conversations I've had with you, um, conversations I've heard in faculty and staff um, after Dr. Madway May's chapel. Um, now, it's, it's altogether possible, and I realize that I may also be sort of extrapolating out and transposing what God is doing with me onto you, and if so, I ask for your forgiveness. But I really do have a sense that um, the Father is calling us as a community into deeper relationship with Him. Um, me personally, I've had just sort of a wild couple of months. Um, I found myself a couple of months ago with, with a, a certain situation where there had been some relational weirdness that had happened, not, not actually with me, but with um, some people that I knew really closely. And, um, and I, I found myself um, absolutely and utterly convinced that God could change the situation that God could change hearts, that he could redeem what was happening. I simply didn't believe that he would. So I was telling a friend of mine about that, and uh, he's like, man, what's going on in your, what's going on in your heart? Because you believe that God's capable, but why don't you believe he'll actually uh, do something? And I was like, ah, oh, that's such an interesting place between belief and trust, right? Like, I believed he would, I just didn't trust that he would. Um, so Dr. Madway's cha Dr. Madway Miss Chapel, uh, The Matrix. Has everybody seen The Matrix? Please tell me you have. Yeah. Um, if you haven't, you should. It's one of the most, um, I think, just gospel-saturated movies ever made, to be honest. Um, but oftentimes, I feel like Jesus is holding the red and blue pill in front of me. Um, and usually, I probably choose the blue pill, but on occasion, I'd like to think that I choose the red pill. And so I think I've been in a bit of a red pill moment. Um, so uh, we've been talking about uh, encountering Jesus in the Old Testament. Today we're going to shift gears because I think that this is what the Lord wants me to uh, preach on today. So we are going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 14 that um, kind of on the, on the outset when you hear it is, is a bit jarring, a little bit disturbing, um, but it's actually really quite beautiful. Um, Let's set it up a little bit. There are these large crowds that have begun to follow Jesus. Um, they've seen and heard his teaching. They've seen miracles. And there is a genuine buzz. So these massive crowds begin following him. And I think there are some who, who earnestly want to follow. But then there are others who are simply following the buzz. They want to see another miracle. They want to hear what he's going to say. They want to see the authority that's happening. They, they, they want to be part of this thing. And he 
takes a moment and he turns and he speaks to these crowds that are following him, right? And what he really is asking them, do you really want what you think you want? I'm going to tell you what it is to follow me. And oftentimes what we think we want is not actually what we want, right? Like that's not, that's not super profound. I think we probably all know that from our lives. Like when my daughter was little, she wanted to like, like lick the top of the salt thing all the time. So anything that looked like a salt shaker, she wanted to lick. So we had a, I had a thing of cayenne pepper sitting on the table at one point, and she saw it. It looked like salt, and she desperately wanted to, like, suck on the top of it. And being a good father, I said no. And then when she started crying, being a good father, I said yes, and gave it to her, and she no longer wanted what she thought she wanted, right? So uh, we've got a little bit of that going on. But um, here's what happens in Luke chapter 14. Uh, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, here's what he said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, uh, such a person cannot be my disciple. As we begin to unpack this, let's pray. Um, Father, please, please be gracious uh, to us. Um, Please, Lord, as you've been speaking this so clearly to my heart, Let me communicate it in a way that speaks to um, our hearts. Lord, please, by your spirit, touch us and make us tender to what you have to say to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And that sounds completely antithetical to everything we know about scripture and to everything we know about Jesus one who said, love your enemies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's, that's Jesus. We know God is love, yet here he's saying, if you don't hate your family, if you don't hate yourself, you cannot be my disciple. So he's talking actually not about hate, but about love, and he's talking about people who are following him, and what he wants to do is make it really clear that following him is not what a lot of these people think. He has no interest in people following him without any intention of actually following him. So he's provocative. He tells them that they need to hate their father and mother, brother and sister, children, even hate themselves. And it it is uh, sounding counterintuitive, but it's not actually describing an act of hate. Active hate is sin. Instead, it's about comparative degree of affection. To hate here is literally Jesus saying that there needs to be an ordered preferential affection in the life of people who are going to follow him. He's talking about loving him more than anything in the world, and that's why he uses family, the place that often has the strongest loyalty, love, and affection in our lives. He's not contradicting the fifth commandment to honor and father and mother. He's not contradicting any of his other commands. He's he's simply saying this, and this is a biblical thing that goes back to the Old Testament, right? Sometimes they use the uh, language of hatred, not not as how you actually actively hate someone, but simply to say when compared to the love that you have for another, it can be hate. So it's preferential. It's not about actively hating. It's about loving him more than you love anything in this world. And then he gets even more to the point than with family. He he adds that we need to hate even our own life. To follow Jesus means loving him more than we love 
even ourselves. So he says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't love me more than all of these things, such a person cannot be my disciple. And there we walk into an interesting thing, right? What kind of a person cannot be the disciple of Jesus? And he says, it's a person who does not love me more than everything else in the world. But what I think is important is, it, it's, it's good to understand this is not a conditional thing. It's not an allowance. It's not a, if you don't love me more than anything in the world, you're not allowed to be my disciple. That's not what he's saying. It's instead, if you don't love me more than everything else in the world, you're incapable of being my disciple because that's what my disciples do. See the difference there? It's not a conditional you're not allowed, but it's a you're incapable of if you don't love me more than everything else in the entire world. And then he goes on, and he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. First, hate your family, even your own life, and now carry your cross and follow me. Now, the apostles would have understood this. They would have known what this was talking about, the image of a man carrying his cross. The cross was about humiliation. It was about punishment. It was about pain. It was the most gruesome form of execution in the ancient world. And to see a man with a cross was to see a man doing one thing. It was to see a man on his way to die. So Jesus says that carrying your cross is how you follow me. The crowds, even the apostles, didn't know it, but Jesus had been walking the way of the cross. And to follow him for them is to also follow the way of the cross. For them, it meant loving him more than their own lives. And in truly loving him more than their own lives, they needed to be willing to lay down their lives, even to Roman executioners, for their love for him. And for us, cross-bearing is the way that we live and the way that we die for Jesus, because it's the way that he lived and died for us. He gave his life for us. He died for us. He surrendered his rights. He surrendered his freedom, his claim to his own life for us. So to follow him is to be willing to do the same for him, to surrender our rights, to surrender our freedom, to surrender any claim that we think we have to our own lives. But it's important, I think, to to unpack a little bit what Jesus means when he says carry our cross. Taking up our cross means that we are willing to accept all of the sacrifice, the suffering, and the persecution and pain that comes with wholeheartedly following Jesus. It's not about the ordinary hardships of life. It's the suffering that comes from actually following Jesus. And I used to think that what that meant was that as a Christian, as a, like if I was a real Christian, really following Jesus, that there would be so much external pressure that I would suffer and that I would have to sacrifice. But what I've come to learn and what I've come to see in my life and what I believe is likely the truth in most of your lives as well is that the sacrifice and the suffering that we're being called to in following Jesus is not primarily what comes from the outside. I think the suffering that he's talking about is the suffering of actually dying to self. It's the suffering of actually being willing to put your flesh and desires to death. It's the process of following him the way of the cross, where he gave up his rights. He gave up any claim to his own life, and he tells us to do the same. And that, I think, is suffering. 
Because when you're faced with the things that you want, the things that you think you need, the things that we've come to believe, and you realize, oh Lord, that may not actually be what you want, and you have to actually kill it. You have to actually put it to death. That's, that's, when, that's when my heart suffers. That's the hardest part. That's sacrifice. It's dying. And it's the cross. And it's hard. Jesus says that unless we bear these kinds of crosses, unless we actually die to self, unless we're actually willing, moment by moment, every single day, to die to ourself, we cannot be his disciple. Again, not that we're not allowed to be his disciple, but we literally can't because a cross-bearing disciple is the only kind of disciple that there is. There isn't another way. There is no cross, no, no cross-bearing disciple. It doesn't exist. And I think, really, isn't this super fitting for us? To the crowds, Jesus is speaking, right? They're walking behind him. They're wanting to see what he's going to do next. And he turns and he stops them. And he says, all right, if you really want to follow me, here's what it means. You have to love me more than anything else in the whole world, even your own life. And you have to pick up your cross and carry it and follow me. Now, he says the same thing to us, right? Don't we, shouldn't we ask ourselves, are we, are you willing to die with and for Jesus? Are you willing to die to yourself, to put to death your desires, the things of the flesh, all the time, every day? just as he was willing to die on the cross. If we are not willing to carry our crosses, we are not ready to live as disciples. And I know that sounds so, so hard, and it is because it's a cross. It was the most gruesome torture that has ever existed. But Jesus says to pick ours up and follow him. If we don't carry our cross, if we don't die to self, we can't be his disciples because that's what disciples do. So he lays this like heavy charge on him. And then he says, all right, two stories. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Okay. Sorry. So a little parable here, right? Jesus says, there's no sense in starting a project unless you understand the actual cost of the project, right? There's no reason to start a project if you don't know what's actually involved in completing the project. The builder, he didn't understand what it would cost him. Jesus is super clear that the Christian life, the cross-bearing life will cost us everything. Salvation by grace is free, but following Jesus will cost us everything we have because it means we die to self. And then he gives another story. Okay, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able He'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. There are some battles that we can't win. 
right? There are some battles when we look at, like, this general looks, he's got 10,000 men. He's looking at 20,000. He's counting the cost. He's like, yeah, that's not going to work out. So he sends a delegation to go and make peace with the more powerful king. And that's what this parable is about, what this picture is about. Building the tower is about assessing what it will cost us to do something, to follow Jesus. The battle is an example of assessing what to do when you have to surrender. We are the weaker king looking at defeat if we try to battle against the greater and the mightier king. The first example asks us, understand the actual cost of following Jesus. And the second is about understanding the actual cost of not following Jesus. And the beauty is, the answer is exactly the same. The cost of following him is everything. And the cost of not following him is everything. You have to count the cost. And in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, that you have cannot be my disciples. When you assess following Jesus, the only way to follow him is to give up everything. Man, I don't know. I don't know how I miss that so often in my daily life. I don't know how I live so regularly without that at the forefront of my mind and heart. Jesus requires nothing less than a total surrender of all that we are and all that we have. Everything that I am and everything that I have, Jesus requires me to open my hands and surrender it to him. I have to renounce everything. We have to give Jesus control over everything. We have to give him control over our whole lives. If we don't give it up, he says again, you cannot be my disciple. And hear that. Again, it's not him saying, you're not allowed to be my disciple. He's saying, if you don't surrender everything, you can't do it. You're incapable. Because a fully surrendered disciple is what a disciple is. So Bonhoeffer talks about when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And that's the call that Jesus places on our lives. He says, look, I don't want you to follow if you have no intentions to actually follow me. And here's what it means to follow me. It means you have to actually love me more than anything else in the whole world. It means you have to be willing to pick up your cross and follow me in the way of the cross, dying to yourself so that you might live. And you have to be willing to give up everything. Everything that you are, everything that you have, you have to open your hands and surrender it to me. The life that you have is going to come from the grace that I extend to you. So here's the thing. We know this, right? I think we all know what I'm, I'm about to say. We are image bearers. That's, that's built into us. We hear it all the time. I think we, we look at it in such beautiful ways. I think we have a deep understanding at Covenant College of what it means to be image bearers. Jesus is the perfect image of God, and Jesus lived the perfect human life. He lived the good life. He lived the beautiful life. He lived the true life. And he tells us to follow him, to follow him in a life of humility, 
a life of obscurity, suffering, obedience, and I hazard to guess that that is not the life that most of us want because we don't really believe that that is abundant life. I think we don't really believe that a life of sacrifice and humiliation, giving up our rights, giving up claim to our very lives, we don't believe that that's what an abundant life actually is and actually looks like. But Jesus said, look, whoever wishes to save his life, you're going to lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is the good life. That's the beautiful life. That is abundant life. And that's the life that happens when we work out our faith in fear and trembling. So Jesus tells us, he says, count the cross, count the cost. Take up your cross, follow me. And then this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. If we have Jesus, we have life, good life, beautiful life, abundant life, but that life is the way of the cross. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Every other way is the way to death. Let's pray. Uh, sweet Father, uh, Lord, please lift up our eyes that we might see clearly, that we might see ourselves, that we might see our world, and that we might see you, our loving Father. Please, Lord, empower us by your Holy Spirit to follow you, to make your call sweet. Work in the hearts of us individually and work in our heart as a community. Please, Lord, call us to yourself and give us sensitive hearts and ears to hear and to respond. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen.